It's good to see you this morning, and I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's page 222 if you're using your pew Bibles, and I'd like you to open up to the second chapter of the book of Ruth. Last week, if you were here, you know that uh, we were looking at the story of how Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, was widowed. And not only widowed, but then her sons also died, one of whom was married to Ruth, so Ruth also was a widow. They were living in Moab. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, Naomi was from Israel. And so is Naomi decided to return to Jerusalem, or to Bethlehem, rather. Excuse me, that's very significant in the story. Decided to return to Bethlehem, and Ruth insisted upon going with her. Naomi felt deeply embittered by her losses. God was punishing her. And so she had said, no longer call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. But now we pick this up in the second chapter. It's a fairly long read, but oh my word, I mean, you, know, you can't break up a story like this. This book is divided really into four scenes, uh, four separate, very distinct sections. And so we're going to read the second one now. Now, we're told this, that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, who had been her husband, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. In other words, let me go basically... Um, not beg for food exactly, but in a sense she was a beggar, but she would get the food herself if she was allowed to pick up spare stalks of grain. But she would have to have the favor of the uh, owner of that area of the field to do that. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, And the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for one short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread, Drip, dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Well, you know how much that is. That's one-tenth of a homer. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied, that roasted grain, you know, that Boaz had passed her. Where did you glean today? And where, where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is, is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his his young women, lest in another <coughs> excuse me, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, I'll pray with you in a moment. Let's pray together. Father, there's so much in this passage, but for that, for which we'll be, that we'll be focusing on now, I ask that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This is a very, very beautiful story of the first meeting that Ruth uh, and Boaz had. And we're left in no doubt as to its meaning. After verse, or in verse 20, after Ruth told Naomi what had taken place that day and how she'd happened on the field of Boaz and how kindly he had treated her, Naomi's response was, may he, referring to Boaz, of course, may he be blessed by the Lord. You see comma there. And then it says, whose, referring to the Lord, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, this is an amazing statement because, I mean, is this the same Naomi who was the grieving widow of chapter one who'd lost her child also, or children rather, and who told her friends, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter before the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, yes, it's a very same person. But now she sees God's kindness in Ruth's meeting Boaz and in how Boaz had spoken to her 
and in all that he had done for her. And that kindness that Naomi refers to, that word is chesed. That word is the biblical word for God's loving kindness. Sometimes translated loving kindness or grace or love. But here translated as as kindness. It's a very important word. I mean, she realized it. She recognized it. I mean, it was unimaginable, you know, that a gleaner, essentially a beggar in a field, could pick up in one day enough random stalks of barley and then process them, beat them, as the text says, to produce an ephah of grain. That would be 30 to 50 pounds. An ephah of grain was one-tenth of a homer, and a homer was the amount of weight that a donkey could carry. This was 30 to 50 pounds of grain. And she went, she'd left for the fields. Ruth had said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And it was very clear, of course, to Naomi that from that cache of grain, plus leftovers from Ruth's lunch, Naomi, she just knew that Ruth had found favor, great favor with someone. And when she learned that the man who had been so kind to her was Boaz, she knew this was truly God's favor and God's kindness. Now, Ruth had no idea who Boaz was, but Naomi did, of course. You know, verse 3 literally reads that Ruth chanced by chance to come to the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of the clan of Elimelech. She chanced by chance. She had no idea what she was doing. Maybe she went to that field because it, was, uh, it looked especially... Uh, uh, you know, fruitful, maybe because the foreman was the first person uh, that she saw. Uh, it was the foreman in that field. We don't know. But under family law in Israel, Boaz was potentially, he potentially had the right to assume the burden of care for Limelech's family, to marry the family widow. In this case, it would be Ruth, not Naomi and to raise up a son to carry on the dead man's name and ownership of his property, the family wealth, to keep the family name and the family going. And there was a title that was used for this, this kind of person, a person who could fill, a man who could fill this role in a family, and Naomi used it when she described Boaz to Ruth as a redeemer, or in some translations put it, a kinsman redeemer. And this word redeemer, actually, in Hebrew, is a little different from the word used of God in redeeming Israel. But he had actually, potentially at least, the right to, to uh, claim this responsibility, to move into this obligation. And it was a complete surprise to Ruth. She didn't know it. In her bitterness, you see, Naomi had forgotten that in all of the bitter experiences of God's children, God is still plotting. He's plotting for their glory. Those are words from John Piper, and it's true. And now this truth was awakened in Naomi. Well, let me explore this. Let's talk a little bit more about why Naomi saw God's love for her as well as for Ruth. And the answer really does turn. It turns on Boaz and the kind of man that he was. 
Boaz embodied the chesed or the love of God. He was, Boaz was a God-saturated man. Uh, you looked in your bullet and the title of the sermon, it was called The Divine Matchmaker. Forget it. Uh, that was earlier in the week. Uh, Terrence was pressing me for a title because he was sending a notice out to life groups. Shame on you, Terrence. The title of this sermon is The God-Saturated Man. He was a God-saturated man. And I want to say this morning that as such, he was as fine a model of godly masculinity as you'll find in the scriptures. It's paralleled in the New Testament by Joseph in his kindness to Mary, how he would not disgrace her or demean her even when he learned that his fiance was pregnant and not by him. This, this is, was exceeded only by Jesus in the way that he related to women. You know, he did not assert his, his power or his advantage uh, at their expense, and neither did Boaz. He did not, I refer in particular to Boaz here, he did not exploit her vulnerability to satisfy his ego. He didn't do those things. That's not the kind of man that he was. Now, I want to reflect on this with you a little bit this morning, and I suspect it will spur some conversation in the congregation, which is fine. There is a chemistry, web definition of chemistry in this sense, is a complex emotional or psychological interaction in the relationship between a man and a woman. Is this news to anybody? It is a chemistry that does not exist between men. It's a chemistry that does not exist between women. Males and females are deeply affected by one another's presence in a way that they are not affected when they're in the room with people of the same gender. And if they're affected by each other's presence, and it's true, how much more are they affected by the way they treat each other and what they say to each other? And when I talk about chemistry between men and women, between males and females, I'm not referring to sexual desire. I think this exists outside as well as within marriage. I think it exists regardless of the age between the male and the female. Bible says that God created man in his own image. In the, in, in the image of God, he created him. It gets it right off the beginning, right? God created us in his image. It said twice. That's the main thing. Then the next thing we're told is that male and female, he created them. And if you ask me, what do these words mean? I think among other important things, they certainly mean, they certainly imply that God created us to honor and respect each other as his handiwork. Not only in that we are both created in his image, we in that sense are, are identical before God. We are both created in his image, but also we are created as male and female. So that the image of God in us is the same image, but it is reflected differently. And honor and respect toward a man or a woman, they mean the same thing. Respect for a man is the same as respect for a woman. Honor for a man is the same as honor for a woman. But how we express that honor and how we express that respect for each other is shaped 
by who we are, male or female, and who we're with, you know, whether female or male, respectively. I mean, honestly, folks, no, one, no man would ever have fought to wash Jesus' feet with his hair. No one would have done that. And no woman would have done that for anyone but for Jesus because he was completely trustworthy, or perhaps for her husband. But in a family or in a community where men respect and honor women for who they are and where women respect men and honor men for who they are, both genders are ennobled. The men are ennobled and the women are ennobled. The men are ennobled to be men. The women are ennobled to be women. But the only society in which this kind of relationship is sustainable is in one that is governed by the fear of God. So that it is clear, very clear to all, beginning with ourself, that we bestow honor for the sake of honoring God, that we show kindness to express God's kindness. Kindness is not a cover for seduction, ever. You know, in recent days, we've heard so much about Harvey Weinstein and or Weinstein and Hollywood and celebrities who've preyed on women, just as here in Washington, D.C., we're hearing about politically powerful gropers, harassers, and predators. And I look at this, and I, the verse that immediately comes to my mind is, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. I guess the question is, will the lessons that need to be learned be learned? And there are some profound lessons. You know, attempts to appear virtuous by wrapping ourselves in what we believe is virtuous ideologies, whether it is feminist ideology or the ideologies of traditional values, whether it is liberalism or conservatism, attempting to wrap ourselves in these political agendas do not make you virtuous. They do not make women safer around you. Because they do not make you virtuous. Only God makes someone virtuous. The grace of God and a heart humble enough to receive it and be corrected by it. That is what makes a man or woman virtuous. That's how they come to virtue. It's called sanctification. Forgiveness and repentance lead to sanctification. That's when people are saved. You realize that the most significant danger that Ruth faced in venturing into the fields of Bethlehem was sexual harassment. Now, Boaz is described as a worthy man. It's a great translation of a Hebrew word, worthy, because it, it means a lot of things. Worthy, just off the top, means he was worth a lot. But worthy also means virtuous or noble, right? It has this range, as Hebrew terms, of beautiful meaning. But he was a worthy man. He had wealth and power, yet his first order of business after he saw Ruth, he knew and realized who she was, was to ensure her protection because she really was vulnerable. 
In verse 8, he said to her, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Yet your, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He was saying to her, you are safe here. And the grace of God expressed through Boaz was to ensure her safety. And when in response, uh, uh, Ruth says to her, down in verse 13, gets to this point, her response is, you have comforted me. This was not, oh, Boaz, you have made me feel so good. I could not have felt this good without a man like you. The Hebrew term, you have comforted me, and the root of it is, you have made me breathe easier. I can breathe easier because of what you said and what you've done for me. I feel the pressure has been lifted. There's a burden on me, and it has been lightened. When Boaz called Ruth my daughter, he was showing respect. I think patronizing about it. He was marking a clear line in how he viewed her. She was much younger than he was. And he was also sending a message to everyone else. If you mistreat my daughter, this is my daughter, you'll have to deal with me. He was assuming the role of her advocate and her protector. And then again, later in the same passage, after he invited Ruth to join his table lunch, and he personally served her. He told his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out from some of the bundles, um, pull, out some of, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Don't harass this woman. Don't hassle her. Don't insult her because she is poor. Don't insult her because you are white and she is black. Don't insult her because you are Israelite and she is Moabite. Do not demean her because of this. That is what exactly what he's saying to them. And then finally, after Ruth returns to Naomi and tells her all about everything that had happened, we read in verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So this issue is being addressed at least three times in our passage. This was the chief danger that Ruth faced as she went out into that world. And I just remind you that this is Bethlehem in the period of the judges. And if you read the last three or four chapters of Judges, you will see what terrible things were done to women and how men mistreated them. It was, at that it was Harvey Weinstein country. It was the country of too many recent American presidents. They gave themselves a pass to exploit women. And, and at that time, I'm talking about the end of the book of Judges, but it's true today, shock 
If this harassment expressed after the fact simply isn't credible. People know it's going on. It's just that when it becomes open and is publicly exposed, everyone runs for cover and gets very self-righteous. It's not really credible. Boaz was a God-saturated man. He assumed the role of advocate. He supported and he defended Ruth, but not in that sort of overbearing way that could diminish her, but so as to confirm her. He used his power to honor her. He respected her initiative, her hard work, her capability of meeting her obligation for herself and for Naomi. You think about this woman, amazing woman. She come to the fields at dawn, never been there before, had been given no direction. She wins permission from a foreman to glean the field. She works all morning and takes just one short rest, which was noted by the foreman because it was very impressive. Then she worked after lunch until evening. And then in the evening, she threshed the grain from the stalks that she had. And finally, she carried that 30 to 50 pound sack back from the field to Bethlehem and to Naomi. That is initiative, and that is capability, and that is industry. And nothing Boaz said or did supposed any less of her, anything less of her. Nothing he said or did in all the help and kindness he showed diminished her one bit. There was nothing patronizing about it. In verse 10, after Boaz told Ruth that he had charged the young men not to touch her and bid her quench her thirst in water they had drawn, Ruth had asked this question. It's a key question in the passage. She said, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz gives somewhat of a lengthy response, but this is how he concludes it. It's the key. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done for Naomi, obviously, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's key. You know, when he speaks about a reward, being given to you when he speaks the Lord repay. It's not like, don't take it in the crass and literal way. The scripture says that those who are kind to the poor, that the Lord will repay them. You know, God is no man, no woman, no person's debtor. It's just that, that that's the whole point of it. Boaz is saying to Ruth, you know, God will, will bless you. He's assuring her of that, that that was not a wasted sacrifice that it was a noble sacrifice, that God took notice of it. But the key phrase here is, in speaking of her, that she was the woman under, who'd come to the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. God did all. God was providing her with refuge. So Boaz did all he could to provide refuge for Ruth because it was God's will. If the Lord received her to care for her, then he would receive her to care for her 
in that same way or as an expression of that, of that kindness. Even as a kinsman redeemer, though he was not appointed yet as such. So when Naomi saw all this, she had every right to see God's own kindness in what had happened. And it softened her embittered heart to give God glory. That, that ephah of barley might as well have been the result of a miracle, like the multiplying of loaves and fishes for the impact that it had on Naomi. And it was a miracle of a kind because God through Boaz had been kind to Ruth. It was a miracle of God's kindness through the honor and the care of a God-saturated man named Boaz. When people see communities functioning in this way, churches, Christians. You know, Ruth found this in a field. Women who come to this church should find this in the church. And I just say to you this morning, you look at the culture and how dark it is, how hypocritical and cynical. And churches can be just as dark and cynical when it comes to harassment. But I say to us as Church of the Atonement, the words of Jesus, you are the light of the world. Men especially, let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. As Naomi saw Boaz's. And take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. People will know God's among us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this portion of your word and ask you to apply it deeply to our hearts. Lord, there are a lot of, there are many Americans today who, many people in our country who, you know, for them, well, just help them see, I pray, who are cynical about the Bible. The sexual harassment was addressed in the Old Testament a long time ago. It's not a modern problem. It is not a modern sensitivity to deal with it. But Lord, it's a matter of our integrity that we walk out what we see in the life of Boaz and the honor that he paid to Ruth. That we walk out the life of Joseph in the way he honored his fiancée and his wife. That we walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ who is so trustworthy and so true in his love that uh, others did not have to be afraid of him. God, keep us all on our guard and help us guard our hearts, we pray. Through Christ our Lord, amen.